0: Whether you're a writer of books or songs or a reader of books and a listener to songs, you're going to really enjoy these interviews with some of our leading songwriters and authors. I certainly enjoyed conducting them. My name is Sophie Green and I am your host. Tanya Bretherton has a PhD in sociology with special interests in narrative life history and social history, She has published in the academic and public spheres for over 20 years and worked as a senior research fellow at the University of Sydney for 15 years. Her first book, The Suitcase Baby, was shortlisted for the Ned Kelly Award, the Danger Prize and the Waverley Library Nib Award. Her second book, The Suicide Bride, was shortlisted for the Danger Prize and in 2020 she won the Danger Prize for her third book, The Killing Streets. Her most recent book is The Husband Poisoner. Each of Tanya's books is different to the others, fascinating. She is one of my favourite writers and so I'm so interested to talk to her about her writing process. Hello, Tanya.
1: Hello. How are you? Very
0: good. That's good and I'm I'm, I'm excited to speak to you um, about these books because I do know these books very well. I've seen you speak about them in the past. People are always so interested in the stories behind these books so I thought I'd get you on record talking about these books. I'd really love it if you could actually talk about how you got the ideas
1: for each of those books. So we'll start with The Suitcase Baby. Uh, Look, for every book, the process has been a bit different, but The Suitcase Baby was sort of the one that started it all. It was kind of the launching pad for that kind of um, area of writing. And I was doing some historical research on the history of adoption legislation in New South Wales, which sounds very dry, um, but Sarah's story, which is the focus point of um, the suitcase baby, uh, is happened around that time. And in fact, I think it was probably one of the events that happened in New South Wales that kind of started to change the sentiment around ease of adoption, how adoption should occur, how it can occur so that all parties are, you know are looked after. Um, So it was really a newspaper article. That was the starting point. Um, And it described this suitcase floating in the harbour, beautiful Sydney Harbour, as iconic as that is. And that was it. I was hooked. I was in. I I had to know. And that really sustained all of the research, all of the work out at Kingswood Archives, Mm -hmm. um, going through all the criminal court transcripts and the inquest transcripts. And everything else uh, and that really sustained I, I had to know what happened mm-hmm. so that's how that book came about and strangely enough while I was out at Kingswood doing the work for that book so there's been a chain reaction for all of them I came across the second stories set of stories the suicide bride stories which is about a family in Newtown and, and the very tragic and horrible thing right. That happens to that family, and what happens to the children after a major true crime event like that? And again, while I was doing the research for the suitcase uh, for the uh, suicide bride out at Kingswood, I came across um, Eric Craig's story, um, which is really the feature of. And so, so it goes on. The only book I would say the last one, uh, the the um, husband poisoner, that really is the only book where. I had three that I'd finished and they were all around themes of archetypes around women and crime, you know, women that kill, do the unthinkable thing of killing a child, Um, women as victims, Um, women in a a horrible domestic violence scenario and that brings about a horrible crime event and a murder. The Husband Poisoner was a little bit different because I thought I would love to do something that looks at one of the last kind of archetypes which is around women mm-hmm. how do women tend to murder they tend to poison that's the folklore that we understand around that so I thought I'm actually while I'm at it Kingswood I'm I'm going to have a look are there any poisoning stories and of course I didn't know anything about the thallium poisonings of the 50s but it was a major major prime event really in the annals of of Australian history and that's what the fourth book is about.
0: Um, So much of the detail of your books is still so vivid to me even though you have the suitcase maybe I read a few years ago but yeah you're so good at depicting the history at the time in which those stories all take place the people involved but also I really feel that you are empathetic or at least sympathetic towards a lot of the people you're depicting, even if they are the criminals, actually. You're trying to get at the reasons why. And I think what you've described about going to the Kingswood Archive and continuing to find stories indicates that you're a naturally curious person. And I suppose your field of study in sociology would suggest that as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it, it's it's history written by a sociologist. So that's always going to be part biography Part social history, and to me, I just think that is a magic blend, hmm. um, because nothing brings history to life than seeing it through the eyes of the people that lived it, and that's what I sort of try to do it and and write it in an accessible way so that people hmm. can pick it up and just read it. It, it uh, my, I've always wanted to open up history more broadly so that it's not this thing that's an exclusive. There's, there's a lot of snobbery in history, you know, I've got to say certainly in academic history. And history is for everyone. You only need to look at the the success of Trove. It is we all have these incredibly rich and beautiful histories to explore, um, and the books are about that.
0: Yeah. One detail I remember from your research for The Suitcase Baby that I remember you saying in a talk was that when you found out about this dead baby in a suitcase in the harbour washed up on a beach so you've discovered there were other babies that had been put into the harbour and you wondered if maybe at that time in history babies were not valued and then you went looking in the classified sections of newspapers the lost and found sections and discovered that there were actually quite a few mementos of memento mori of dead babies that yes. um that had been lost to people people were trying to find them so you deduce that babies were
1: were valued at that point or yes. something else was going on yes absolutely and it that's the thing i that's what i love about there I like to think that is in the field of true crime my books are a little bit unique in the sense that you pretty much know what happens there there are twists and turns yeah. but the true crime vet event and the capture of the person often happens quite early on you kind of know well I know who did it it's more about what spins out of that and they are a lot of them are trauma stories let's face it that there's intergenerational trauma in in many of my books and there there's an exploration of that that I just feel like it's a very topical thing right now we've got a whole conversation around trauma and yeah the books are a wonderful way to explore that.
0: So researching in the Kingswood archives sounds like it's, you know, it could be quite a dry experience in and of itself. You're fostering through old files. It's a very extensive archive. But I can imagine that for you, given how you connect with the stories you're writing about, it, it would be quite an emotional experience going through all of these papers and records of people that you'll never know, but about whom you're planning to write.
1: Well, I and I actually, absolutely. And the experience of doing that research and the emotional reaction i have when i'm with the material you know the waxy paper the rusted nails um for the suicide bride um and i'll never forget it um they have all of the a lot of the paper documentation because it was such a complex it was the exploration of a murder suicide so they retained a lot of the paper documents to try to work out what the f actually happened mm. and in that stack of one of those folders at Kingswood is in fact the pawn ticket that was in the pocket of the man who died at the beginning of the book um, as he bled to death which I know is an incredibly dark place to go but it is there mm. and it has the streak and I it, so I use that experience it's sort of the metric for whether or not I think it's going to work. So I've cried at the archive I, I I've gasped I, I've felt the shock of a discovery that's I go okay I'm on to something here mm-hmm. If you feel it if it's a visceral thing you you know you're on to something yeah and with that
0: book in particular, one of the children of the dead couple, has followed you around a little bit. He sort of, it's it's almost like he was, he was reaching across time and from beyond the grave to guide you to tell the story.
1: Yeah, it it's it I have a really strange relationship with that book. I think because I I got to meet so many of the descendants. They didn't know the story. They they knew aspects of it, but for them to see it all knitted together, it was I hope it was healing for them. I think it was, even though it's an incredibly hard thing to read mm-hmm. because it's got everything. It's got horrible violence, mental illness. It, it, it's you couldn't you couldn't start a book with a more tragic event. So there's <laughs> children basically just cast into the orphanage system in Edwardian Sydney, and you can only imagine. You know what that's like, um, but yeah, it, it has been a wonderful thing connecting with the family, um, and I've maintained relationships um, with many of them.
0: Yeah. Now you, as as we talked about, you work through extensive research to write a story that reads so well, and it's almost like when you talk about the emotional reaction to the material. But reading your books makes me think that it's almost like you absorb the research by osmosis or something, and then turn it into something else. Um, you know, as you're writing the story, it's not like it feels like there's it's clunky or research heavy. So I'm wondering how you decide what your starting point is for telling a story. Is it to do with the
1: emotional reaction to some of the material you found? Yeah, absolutely. It always has to start with the emotion. Mm-hmm. And then I can, I, you know how they talk about plotters and pantsers. you know, that I, I think I'm sort of somewhere in between, but I'm probably more of a plotter Um, in the sense that I just keep, I think it's the background of being a researcher, accumulate, 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 massive jigsaw puzzles of characters. So there's all of these component parts that are then slowly fitted together. Mm -hmm. And the advantage I think of probably that I've got in terms of writing of true crime, you actually, you do know certainly the, the trajectory or the arc. Of what the criminal case is, it's then about slotting in all of the personal story in around that. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it takes a long time.
0: Yeah. Um, having said that, you kept a fairly stern pace of releasing really your books because you were doing a lot of research and writing in a fairly short space of time. But also, I would imagine there's some character development work that has to happen. I mean, you are writing about real people, but you're also creating stories about them that are full of the details of their real lives that you have gleaned through this research. So I'm wondering if there's any kind of, you've talked about the the plotting part of it, but any kind of exercise you may do to develop those characters so they they appear as they are on the page because they are really vivid on the page.
1: Well, part of it is that I always try, I, there have been occasions where I haven't, and I, and I hope I've sort of been overt about, you know, declaring that, is that the... Transcripts that we've got at Kingswood, if there's any kind of criminal case about something, Supreme Court transcripts, there's a lot of dialogue. We have a lot of dialogue, and we can kind of buttress that a bit with newspaper articles, and sometimes even with inquests. There might be letters, or they are rich, rich source documents. But the dialogue leads you to where the person, okay, who is this actual person? I've met someone that's like that, even though it's 100 years later. So it it does become a a weird merging of the silhouette of the person (laughs) is there. You've got to fill in the details. Um, But the dialogue is actually really important. And most of my books, where there's dialogue, I might change a little bit about um, I might write a scene where it's written in a room with blue walls. Well, we don't know that the walls were blue. I'm making an assumption based on the type of house, which I've probably spent three days researching to see what they tended to in paint the interiors on. So that stuff is padding, but the dialogue, that's the real stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so although I play around a little bit with about the situation of it and the sequencing of it, That's where I hope the realness of it is maintained. It's because they were real words spoken by real people. Mm. Um, I'm not able to go to
0: Newtown, which is a summer in Sydney for those who don't know it, without thinking of the details you put about what it was like at the time of the deaths in the suicide bride. It was, you know, shops open at 10 o'clock at night. It was this whole different summer of. Of industry and and buzziness and pe- basically it was like a twenty four hour place, Yes. which later would be changed by legislation so that shops had to close early and everything. But it was I just never occurred to me that it might, things might have been like that
1: in Wardian times. No, that's right. And animal carcasses hanging airing um, on the the basically the the footpath because just because of the way that buildings were designed, and there were certain circumstances where that was. That was the best thing to do. And um, terraces where the bodies were laid out in funeral parlours operated um, in the sa- in shared households with families, bootmakers and glassmakers. And, yeah, it's an incredible um, part of Sydney's history, just so fascinating.
0: Does your sense of the world's change by doing this work and writing these books in that um, does it feel like, all the past is with us all the time in a way. Like these are, there are just layers of the past all around us if we choose to look for them. That you know, the, I suppose the people who have who have gone
1: already are still with us in some way almost like in parallel dimensions of time. Uh, it's haunting. That that is the only way that I can describe it. Sorry, my dog is on the floor and he has decided that it's a really good idea to chew the bone right next to me. I hear okay. it <laughs> Um, Often dogs make cameo appearances in interviews. <laughs> I do, and I would never ever mind. I've got <laughs> two sure. blue heeler,s and they're lovely, but they're nuts. But yeah, it, it is. It, it's, and I think it's one of the beautiful things about living in Sydney is there there are old buildings. There are there is a history just waiting for people to discover it. And um, yeah, I I can't go to Belmore Park near Central Station without thinking. <laughs> of um babies wrapped in newspapers and left on park benches you know um i can't go to the harbor really without just uh, it, that thought will will float through and i can't life. go to redfern station without thinking of the same thing
0: because you it, mentioned that in the suitcase baby yeah
1: so it is it's yeah it's there it's real it's still i don't know there's an echo of it somehow i feel it mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah.
0: Um, now your books are, as uh, you said, their history, the true crime, their sociology. they're um, also stories of women who might never never otherwise have had their stories told. when when it came to writing your first book, if there were or even the other books, if there are any writers who have influenced you in terms of the other uh, the sorts of stories you're telling or the style in which you tell them.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think specifically, I think there is a specific, there was a point, I think. I read Helen Garner's uh, Consolation of Joe Cinque and when I read that, I thought, uh-huh, it is possible to write true crime that is elevated
0: mm-hmm.
1: and is deeply driven, also driven by the engine of a really personal narrative. Now, I didn't include myself in the story, which I know some true crime writers do when you see it through their eyes, but there was something about the way those two things united that I thought, and she did it in Australia, and, and then she did it again with a book called House of Grief, um, which, of course, came later. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that did influence me because I thought it can be done. Right.
0: Um. Now, when you write, we've talked about you, when you've talked about you plotting a little bit, but I'm wondering if you have a standard writing process in terms of lucky coffee mug or a place you write in, or is it really just because you're doing other things? You have to fit that writing in wherever
1: you can. Yeah, I'm pretty random about it, I must admit. The time I write, I think, is pretty steady in the sense that I was someone that studied and worked and raised kids all together so I did my PhD with two small small kids while also working so the habit that I built up to try and kind of get that done um, the academic work done was that I would always rise really early in the morning because that was the quietest time in the house where I could get that stuff done and that habit really it's sort of stuck with me and I, I wake brighter switched on so i In terms of the timing, that's when I tend to do it. But the solid place where it happens, I do it in cars. I do it on public transport. I'm one of these people that always has a notebook with me or I'm typing something into my phone. It's never not with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's always on the back burner, even if I'm doing something else um the work on the books is always um churning around in there
0: Mm -hmm. have you ever hit a roadblock with a manuscript not necessarily
1: a writer's block but a roadblock do you know what's weird I actually don't think I have I think because I tend to obsess and (laughs) so I obsess and and I will overwrite and have to pull back my problem's never been underwriting and not being able to so I'm one of these people that draft edit draft edit draft edit it it, it it's it's insane that's all right I mean no, it's your process I it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah I, I I can't say I've ever had sort of writer's block or, or a road block I don't think mm-hmm. and have there have any of the stories ever surprised you so
0: even though you've done all that research um, or you've done most of the research and you started writing. Has anything come up that you just thought, "Oh, I didn't really," or even in the way you were writing it, that you thought, "I didn't think I was going to take it that way," but it's gone. No,
1: it, it, in fact, every single book I've I've written to date, there's been something that's floored me. Right. So yeah, absolutely. And I, I probably won't I won't go into it too much, obviously, because people want to read the books and enjoy yeah. the twists and turns, but. There is always something unexpected. And, again, that's another metric for I go, aha,
0: mm-hmm.
1: if I didn't see this coming, yeah. someone else won't. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, now, what is your tip for someone who wants
0: to start writing and isn't sure how or where to start? Um, look, oh,
1: I once read an interview with... Um, That Stephen King gave. Mm -hmm. And he gave the advice you know, if you want to start writing and you don't read, read, read. And and I think he's probably right Mm -hmm. because, however different the direction you might envisage for yourself as a writer, you have to know about the craft. Mm -hmm. And how do you learn that? How do you learn about rhythm and pace and character and uh, read? Read, read, read. Um, because if nothing else, it's just going to broaden your not, so that you'll understand when you're ready to go, you'll know where you fit in that in that landscape. And
0: given that you've done a lot of reading, I'm sure in the course of doing your PhD and other things, um, what do you like to read for fun? Fiction, nonfiction, both? Uh, pretty much everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like yeah both fiction, nonfiction, and I like. Australian, American, like, yes, I, I, I'll i read anything. I, again, I, I I think I'm more a, they talk about plots and characters, I'm probably more a character person, mm-hmm. sort of. Um, yeah, I, I've been a, and it's, you know what's weird about it is that I would say that it's, Books are sort of like music to the extent that the soundtrack of your life changes depending on what's happening. So although there's some books that have stayed with me and that, you know, I will love, love, love them and continue to read them forever, um, what I was reading 20 years ago probably isn't what I would be reading now. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. Uh, Now, what are you working on at the moment? I am working on a fiction book. I've I've written a little bit of fiction and I've played around a little bit. I've never had anything published in that field, but that is what I, I'd reached a point with The Husband Poisoner where it felt rounded out. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd I'd reached, I'd covered some key crime eras Mm -hmm. and I'd explored stories for women and I thought I, I I want to rest, and um, then started a work of fiction, um, which I'm loving. I must admit, yeah. Uh, so it, it's a gothic love story of the 30s, right, um, right. set in North Queensland.
0: Well, that makes me want to read it straight away, Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> So was the was it because you said you prefer reading characters to well, you prefer characters over plot. Was it the characters
1: who came to you first in that one? Yeah, absolutely. And it it was a, a, a strange starting point, really, is that um uh my dad lost his sister when he was very young and when she was very young. And I had, it had always been, he was a, a bloke from an era where you didn't really talk that much or deeply personally. They didn't talk reflectively. He was a boy of the depression. And I was always fascinated. And I got the sense from stories that people within the family had said about dad is that he was deeply, deeply affected by Joyce's death. Mm-hmm. that He was altered, that he, they were particularly close. And so I I always wondered what was the version of dad, if Joyce had lived, what would that, and that kind of was the starting point for it. And not that I have in any way based it historically on those lives or those characters, but mm-hmm. that was sort of the emotional place that, mm-hmm. that um the genesis of it.
0: Yeah. Now I want to read it even more. <laughs> uh, because this is a books and music podcast, I'm asking the authors, to recommend some music they love, either an artist, an album, a song, whatever you like, if there's something that comes to mind?
1: Yeah, I I, um, I thought about this briefly just before we, look, I listen, music's a, a huge part of my life. I don't play. I'm not a performer. I have no technical skill in that area, but I'm a lover of music and it, it, it's, it, it features in every day um, that I'm on the earth. I think what I would say, if I had to, I love and, and I lo- love lots of different genres, so I'll listen to stuff from the 20s, I'll listen to, and try to um, consume the most recent and exciting thing that, you know, kind of touches my heart and of all different genres. I think what I would say is I love an album and I know we're in an era where the nature of the way that music is released has changed. Mm-hmm. I still love a perfect, round, beautifully formed whole thing where the artist has, they're telling you a story. They mm-hmm. are taking you on that journey and you are just, you just have to let it unfold because mm-hmm. they're in the driver's seat and you just have to. And, it, and I would say I think we are, as much as, the way that music has been released has changed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, some of my favourite albums have come out in the last couple of years. So that art form I think is still there. Mm. Um, and there, it's music that's got me through some really hard stuff the last couple of years. Um, the latest Alex G album, um, God Save the Animals, beautiful, perfect, round, personal stories that unfold and cross genres. So he's an indie artist, but plays around with everything from rap to folk, you know, to kind of indie rock. Um, The National Sleep World Beast album, that is an album that got me through a really tough year. Mm -hmm. A a beautiful whole album. Mm -hmm. Anything pretty much by Elbow, again, master craftsmanship of lyric and musicianship and just these beautiful symphonies and this story is about people as well anything by Sufjan Stevens oh I can't I can't Carrie and Lowell from a few years ago it is seen as being the definitive work on um, early childhood trauma and loss indeed it is it is do yourself a favour, people. If you haven't listened to it, it is it is a masterpiece. Um, yeah, there's there's some beautiful. Fleet Foxes, the shore that came out only a few years ago, again, beautiful, whole narratives.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I've probably gone on, on and on about that.
0: <laughs> I, 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 no, you haven't, and I've now... Pretty much want to just talk to you about your music recommendations, but I will cut you off there. You've given some great ones. Tanya, so very interesting to talk to you about your writing process. I want to read that novel. Um, I hope it appears sometime soon. In the meantime, people can find all of your books at retailers, at libraries, ebook. Um, Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. and I've just so enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Writing Books and Music podcast. If you'd like to know more about the writer you've just listened to, please go to the show notes.